it's settled. Well, good morning, church. Um, welcome. It's, it's, good. it's good to be here. It's such a privilege, privilege to preach this morning. If you're a guest, my name is David Bush. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Palm Vista, and, uh, and we're glad you're here. Uh, well, this morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Strength in Weakness in the book of 2 Corinthians, in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, you can start turning uh, to 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7. We're going to be studying this morning 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. Last week, uh, we learned uh, from Paul as he was arguing that his qualifications for ministry, his qualifications as a minister of the gospel, were sufficient because his ministry um, was empowered or is empowered by the Spirit of God. And in this morning's text, in 2 Corinthians 3, 7-18, Paul's continuing that argument. He's going to show that the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry that he has, and, and the one that you have this morning, is exceedingly glorious. Even more so, in fact, than the ministry of Moses. So turn with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Or if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once has glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege <laughs> to have your very words before us this morning. What a privilege to be able to stand here and preach your words to your people. What a privilege, Lord, that we have this ministry of the Spirit. No longer, Lord, do we have to hide <laughs> from the face of God, Lord. We can draw near to you because the Spirit of God is dwelling with us. God, I pray your Spirit would be active and at work this morning softening hearts, removing the veil from hard hearts so they might see you, Lord God, and, and, and praise you, Lord, with joy. God, I pray you would do a work this morning through your scriptures, through your spirit, bringing conviction and comfort 
and delight. Lord, would you turn our eyes as we study your words to see you more gloriously, to be more in awe of your mercy for us, to be more hungry for your spirit, just more amazed what a privilege it is to live at the time that we live, to have the blessing that we have in Christ and your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I don't know if you guys remember dial-up internet. Anybody here remember dial-up internet? Yeah, okay. So like half of us, right? Um, for, for those few people who are younger than me here, dial-up internet uh, is what we used to have, right? You'd log into Netscape, right? Plug into the wall, and after an hour of the, the computer booting up, uh, you'd get that sound. Sergio is trying to make the sound. What's the sound, Sergio? How's it go? Yeah, about like that. It goes through the whole dial-up thing, and after a while, you finally get on the internet, and um, then you load up a page, and after you go eat some dinner, you come back, the, the page is loaded, get on Netscape, Dogpile, I don't know, whatever internet search tool you were using, Homestar Runner. And um, it was wonderful. It was glorious. Like, we could get on the internet. It was an amazing thing. Now we have, you know, 4G, 5G, 12, 13G, all the Gs are coming, right? And we've got all this opportunity to get on the internet. Uh, you know, we do road trips with the kids, and we can put Disney Plus on the iPads in the back seat as you're going 70, 85 miles an hour down the highway. Uh, and they're entertained. It's wonderful. We have access wherever we want to go. Um, and then we have those days, right, where maybe you're flying down the highway and, and it starts to buffer. That ever happened? You know, like 10, 20, uh, Lord forbid, 30 seconds of buffering, right, as you're waiting for the video to load. And, um, you know, get impatient. Uh, I start screaming at the phone, right? It's in those moments I, I, sometimes I have to just remind myself, bro, like, I don't think we realize how good we have it, right? Like, uh, we've got internet everywhere we go. We can access all over the place. I just, we forget how good we have it. And in this morning's text, Paul, in a sense, is turning to the back seat and reminding us, uh, don't you know how good you've got it? <laughs> the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry that you have is exceedingly glorious. It's incredible. It's amazing. And he's going to look at, we're going to look at together three aspects of the ministry of the Spirit that hopefully will turn our eyes to see how good we've really got it. How glorious this ministry is. And the first aspect is this. The ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of enduring righteousness. It's a ministry of enduring righteousness. This section of 2 Corinthians, this text that we're looking at this morning, it's, it's built around a story from Exodus 34, uh, starting in verse 29. It's a story of Moses, the second time he comes down from the mountain. If you know the story, the first time he came down, he came down with the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone, and Israel had decided in the short time that he was away to build themselves a golden calf and worship it. Uh, that upset Moses <laughs> and God. He broke the tablets, went back on the mountain, pleaded with God not to destroy Israel, uh, and then God sent him back down with a new set of tablets. And uh, because Moses had been with God and spoken with him face to face as he came down before the people. What he didn't realize is his skin on his face was actually shining with the glory of God. The very presence of God was with Moses. Let's look at, let's look at the, the passage here in Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, 
as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin on his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in to speak with the Lord, to before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he had commanded. And the people of Israel would see the face of Moses. The skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil back over his face again until he went in to speak with him, that is the Lord. So we have here Moses going in before the presence of God to speak with God face to face. And then every time he comes before the people, they see his face, they're afraid, and he, and he covers it up with a veil. A few things are important to notice here. First, one of the things that Paul points out is that the ministry of Moses did have glory. Moses' face shone with the glory and the presence of the living God. There was glory in the ministry of Moses. But the shining face, the presence of God, the glory of the ministry of Moses presented a problem for the people of Israel. Because they were stiff-necked, in disobedience and unbelief, the people of Israel could not endure the presence of God. In fact, for them to be exposed to the presence of God would have resulted in their judgment and death. What happened, what God had threatened to do, and Moses had held him back from doing just a few verses earlier, which is destroying them. And so Moses would cover his face whenever he returned, and this was both an act of mercy on the people and withholding from them the judgment of God, but also in itself an act of condemnation upon them. Because of their lack of righteousness, they could, not, they could not look at the glory of God in the face of Moses. And so it was a judgment, an act of condemnation upon them. And so in our text, Paul refers to the ministry of Moses. Paul refers to this law of Moses. In verse 7, he calls it the ministry of death. And then in verse 9, again, he refers to the ministry of Moses as a ministry of condemnation. The ministry of Moses had glory. But that glory was constantly being snuffed out, being brought to an end or being made useless. And eventually, we read in our text, is going to be completely replaced. This ministry of death and condemnation is going to lead to something better. Instead of an ineffective, perishing ministry of death and condemnation, what we enjoy, church, what we enjoy is God's people today is a far greater glory. It's a glory of what Paul calls in verse 7, the ministry of the Spirit. And in verse 8, he calls it the ministry of righteousness. This ministry of the Spirit, this ministry of righteousness is a ministry of the Spirit of God in two ways. It's the first thing it is, and the way he speaks of it in the first half of this text, is a ministry of the Spirit of God to us that produces righteousness, a ministry from God to us through his Spirit that results in righteousness. Why? Because we have the same problem Israel had. <laughs> we have that same problem. Like Israel, we do not have sufficient righteousness to stand before the presence of the glory of God. And, and like Israel, the law of God, apart from the Spirit of God, produces in us death and condemnation. However, what the people gathered in the desert before Moses were blinded to has been revealed to you and revealed to me. And it's this, that Jesus, 
lived a perfectly sinless life. He lived a life free of doing anything wrong, but he also lived a perfectly righteous life, which means Jesus didn't just not do bad things. He did all of the right things he ought to do. He didn't sin, and he did everything right. And Jesus himself, who deserved no wrath from God, who is himself God, bore the death and condemnation that you and I deserve because of the law of Moses, because of those Ten Commandments that we stand before. He hung on a criminal's cross for that condemnation that you and I deserve. And Jesus himself was crucified for you and for me. And then, three days later, what we celebrate around this time of year with Easter, he rose from the dead. And in doing so, he gives his righteousness to every man, woman, and child who turns to the Lord and calls upon the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. We have the righteousness of God because of the work of Jesus. And because of this work, we are able to dwell among God. God, it's possible for him to dwell among us without destroying us. This is a ministry of righteousness. It's the ministry of the Spirit, and it's exceedingly glorious. Even better, this ministry of righteousness is one that endures. It's not limited by geography and time. We, as God's people, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, do not have to wait for Moses to come down from the mountain and hope we can catch a glimpse of his face before the veil falls over it. Our access to God is not stop and start depending on our obedience that day, depending on how well we did in our quiet time or whether we had fallen back into that pattern of sin from the past. We have direct access to the presence of God and his spirit daily. And we have his words written not on tablets of stone, but written on our very hearts and revealed to us in his scriptures. Praise Jesus, how good we have it. Our confidence, our joy, our eternal hope, it's not built on a law that condemns us, but on the unfading righteousness given to us by the very spirit of God in Christ Jesus. Unlike Israel, we don't have to hide from the glory and presence of God, church. Instead, we get to stand next to Moses, beholding Christ face to face on the mountain. Our access is not restricted by condemnation, by the sinful rebelliousness of our hearts. Oh, how glorious is this ministry, this ministry of righteousness that's been given to you, that the Spirit of God ministers to you. Even better than the ministry of Moses. Even better than the ministry of the disciples who walked with Jesus. Do you have any idea how good you have it this morning? Be sensitive this morning that there may be some here who, who don't have this righteousness, who don't have this hope. Perhaps you're still trying to get God's delight in you. You're trying to get his favor by following those rules written in stone. Listen, you're never going to earn God's favor by following all the rules sufficiently. Apart from the Spirit of God at work in our hearts, we all are condemned by the law, not made right by it. But Jesus has purchased your righteousness by dying for you on his cross. And he offers his perfect obedience to you free of charge. So if that's you this morning, I, I, I want to urge you would, you, would you turn and surrender to his merciful love today? Would you receive his righteousness on your behalf? Nothing you've done before, nothing you fear you might do in the future can disqualify you from the loving mercy of God. So I'd urge you, if that is you, I would urge you, 
receive his love this morning. I would love to talk with you after the service and pray with you and talk to you about this love of Jesus that's free for you today. The ministry of the Spirit is exceedingly glorious because it's a ministry of enduring righteousness. Secondly, the ministry of the Spirit is exceedingly glorious because it is a ministry of hope-fueled boldness. Hope-fueled boldness. Look at me in verse 10. It says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory of all, at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if, it was, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Growing up, we had these little nightlights that we'd put in the room, and my kids still use them. You know, the little fluorescent bulbs with the plastic uh, cover on the front? Um, it's like they haven't changed in like 30 years. They have the little flowers on them and the superheroes and stuff. Um, and at night, as a child, when you're scared of the dark, that little nightlight can bring just enough light to cast away the fear, uh, to give you a little bit of a sense of security. Um, but when the sun comes out and the lights turn on in the room, in the hallways, and you open the window, eventually what, what happens? Well, that nightlight is revealed to be no light at all, is it? Um, it becomes useless, purposeless. What, what use is a nightlight uh, when the sunshine is, is glowing, when the lights are turned on? And so also the ministry of the Spirit is far greater than the ministry of Moses because the glory of God is no longer shining from just the, the face of one little man, Moses, but each and every one of us gets to stand with Moses and boldly point the way to glory. It's not just one dim little bulb that gets covered and uncovered throughout the night, but hundreds and thousands of bright fluorescent LED floodlights of glory from each and every one of your faces. How much better is that than the ministry of, of Moses? We burn brightly with the hope of eternal life and the reconciliation we have with God. See, the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of God to us, but it's not just the ministry of the Spirit to us resulting in righteousness. It is also, we see now, the ministry of the Spirit through us. So the ministry of the Spirit is to you and through you. Notice here in verse 12, Paul's language shifts from the past tense to the present tense. And he shifts from the singular to the plural. In verse 12, he says, we have such a hope. So we are very bold. In verse 18, he says, because we all behold the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces. Moses, he stood alone on that mountain before the people of Israel. But you don't stand alone. We stand together. We stand next to one another, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with Moses as ambassadors of the hope of the gospel to a dying world. Oh, what a privileged church. The very Spirit of God dwells with us that we might boldly proclaim the name of Christ to our city, to our nation, and to the ends of the earth. What Corey and CJ are doing right now, it's what, what you do in your city and at your workplace. I, I believe God has called Palm Vista to be a light in this city. I believe he's called Palm Vista to be a church-planting church in South Florida. A church-planting church in South Florida and to the nations. And, and one of the things that we are excellent at is caring for one another. We're a church that's really good at training and equipping leaders, uh, but one of our dangers, church, is that we can be too insular. We can turn all those spotlights inward and just a few of them shining out. 
Oh, I believe God wants to change that. I believe he wants us to be a church that is outward facing, that is on mission with the gospel to our nation and to our city. The New Testament model is one that puts every uh, believer, every member of the church on the front lines of proclamation. That's where God has placed you, church. He has commissioned and empowered you with the spirit to proclaim the gospel exactly where you are. To proclaim the hope of Christ boldly in Miami Gardens, in Pembroke Pines, in Hollywood, in Doral, in Miami Lakes. He's empowered us and, and enabled us to proclaim the gospel where you work, in the operating room, in Walmart, watching the grandkids, changing diapers, in your Zoom classroom, debugging code at the office, patrolling the streets. God has called you. Proclaimly bold. Boldly proclaim the name of Christ wherever he has put you. Not because you are so godly and sinless, but because you know just how sinful and corrupt your heart is and how generous and merciful your God has been to you. We are ambassadors of the gospel, people who are broken and in need, people who still struggle and wrestle with their sin but have been forgiven by a merciful God and have a message to take to the people that God has placed in our lives. You get to display the glory of God in Christ Jesus everywhere you go. What a privilege. How glorious is that? Paul goes on. He has more to say about where this hope and this boldness comes from. We have hope because the ministry of the Spirit is not one that rests on our power. It is effective because the Spirit of God is the one who unveils the hearts of his people so they can see the majestic love of Jesus. Speaking again of the Israelites in verse 14, he says, But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their house, heart. But when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Paul's flipping the image now. Now, instead of the veil being over Moses' face, he explains that the veil is also a metaphorical veil over the hearts of unbelievers. See, the problem wasn't with Moses. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with the hearts of the people. God's ultimate purpose for his covenant people was to experience his presence and his glory in the person of Jesus Christ. But only the illumination of the Spirit of God can make that possible. The law is good and was always intended to reveal God's glory in Christ Jesus. But apart from the work of the Spirit of God, all of us, when we hear the law, we look at it and we say, yeah, I can do that. I'm good. I got that. But the law empowered by the Spirit is intended instead to be a great big flashing arrow pointing us to Christ, pointing us to our desperate need for him, our desperate uh, desire to have him to be our righteousness. When Moses looked out on the people of Israel, he saw a hard-hearted people that could not endure the presence of God because they were under the ministry of death and condemnation. But when you, when we look out on the world, when you look at your unbelieving coworkers, your family members, those friends, those who you care about who seem too far gone, we have a greater hope than Moses because we see the Spirit of God at work pulling veils off blinded hearts. 
We know that the power that is at work in us, that softened our hearts, is at work in the hardest of hearts of those that we care and love. We know that in Christ, God has accomplished what Moses had only hoped for. God has accomplished what the prophet Isaiah predicted would happen and would be, not just for Israel, but for all people, all nations. In Isaiah 25, 7, he says, the prophet says, and he, this is God, will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, that veil, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Praise God. This confidence makes us bold, courageous, ferocious. We're not intimidated by our weakness because we have the exceedingly glorious hope of this ministry of the Spirit of God at work through us. It's not our weakness or strength that we depend on, but the work of the Spirit of God. And church, this should give us patience to endure with those that we love. Patience to endure in prayer and proclamation even when we do not see the fruit. It's God who gives life to hearts. It's God who pulls the veil off of blinded hearts. Maybe you've got someone in your life that you're tempted to write off. They seem too far gone. Listen, our hope for them, your hope for them, is not their relative state of morality or their reasonableness. You weren't saved by your clean living. You weren't saved by your reasonable thinking, but the power of the presence of the Spirit of the living God is at work snatching veils off of hearts and imparting saving, life-giving joy. And that's my hope for those that you love, those in your family that you care deeply about. God is powerful and able to save them. And I trust him this morning. Do you have any idea how glorious a ministry we have? The ministry of the Spirit of God is exceedingly glorious. It's a ministry of enduring righteousness, a ministry of hope-fueled boldness. And third, it's a ministry of transformative freedom. Transformative freedom. Look with me at verse 17. Paul continues. He says, now the Lord is a spirit. That's the Lord he's been talking about. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. My family, we used to live in Pembroke Pines. We had a little house, a little townhome on the lake. And... Um, Every week, one of the things that Melinda and I would do after the kids were down and the chaos and insanity of the day had ceased mostly, uh, we'd go sit out by the water and, um, on this lake and just watch uh, the reflection of the moon on the water, uh, look at the houses as they kind of reflect off the water. And um, that still water, as we're, as we're watching the reflection, it, it, it brought a sense of real peace Oh, there's something about that. I was just thinking about it this week. Is that God designed us in such a way that what we behold, we become like. What we consistently set our minds upon, what we look upon with our eyes and with our hearts, we begin to reflect. The ministry of the Spirit of God is a, 
is a ministry of transformative freedom. It's a freedom that transforms us and changes us as we set our eyes and our hearts on the Spirit of God. We, we reflect His Spirit like that still water, maybe rough water that's becoming more still. Just like the skin on Moses' face glowed with the glory of God every time he came face to face with his Creator, when Paul speaks here of freedom, he's highlighting for us the free access we have to the living God like Moses that our faces also might shine with that glory. We now have freedom to gaze upon the face of God and be transformed, to see his glory. What do we mean by glory? It's his presence, his glory is his goodness, his worth, his power, his beauty, his value, the wonder of this living God who dwells with us. We behold his glory when we read his word, we pray, hearts of repentance and thanksgiving, we behold and we are transformed. It's what we're doing together here this morning, aren't we, church? We're beholding together. We're setting our gaze together on the glory of Christ. We're reminding one another, not just from the pulpit, but as we sing. I am am sure that as I sing and as I hear your voices sing, I heard Nico singing behind me this morning, and, and, and as I heard his voice proclaiming the glory of Christ, it encouraged me and reminded me of this glory. It was to me like the shining voice of glory reminding me of who we are in Christ. We need each other's voices, church, singing together, uh, proclaiming that word together, reminding each other in the quiet moments, in those moments of despair and hopelessness. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to point us to this glory. I I experienced the transformative freedom of the ministry of the Spirit just this last week as as I sat in Al's office uh, and just poured out some of the, the things that were on my heart and he He comforted me. He reminded me of the glory of Christ, (laughs) my value before God being determined not by my performance or perfection, but by the finished work of Jesus. And man, that brought hope. That brought hope where there was hopelessness. So grateful for that. My prayer, church, is that you would have that as well, not here in the corporate gatherings, but also in those private settings and community groups, grow groups. We don't have community groups anymore. Grow groups. Uh, and accountability, times of accountability with, with brothers and sisters, worship nights like we had the other night, ladies' events, that we would be gazing together at the glory of Christ. The ministry of the Spirit has the power to break the chains of sin and to break the chains of addiction. Christ's work on the cross is true. Church, we are free to be honest with others about our struggles. Maybe you're here this morning and you are wrestling with addiction. Maybe there's some very serious addictions, maybe substance. Maybe it's um, to pornography or sex or drugs, food, self-harm. And you feel trapped. You feel like there's no freedom, there's no way out. The ministry of the Spirit of God is a ministry of transformative freedom. There is a way out for you. In Christ Jesus. And even if you're a Christian, listen, there is way out for you in the mercy of Christ Jesus. Because of the ministry of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer have to fear the rejection of others if they should find out what we do in secret. In fact, we can be free to confess our sins openly to our brothers and sisters in in the proper context that we might find freedom and help. That God might rescue you and save you from your addictions, from your sin, from your broken chains. We've been accepted by God because of the blood of Jesus. Friend, you don't need to continue carrying the weight of your sin on your own. 
What a bold proclamation of the gospel it is. When we're honest about our deepest, darkest shame. In doing so, we proclaim the full and free forgiveness that we have received from the cross. Power. You don't have to be perfect to be accepted and acceptable. We don't have to be perfect to have direct access to the living God. What we need is the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And that is offered freely at the cross of Christ. Remember, Paul here is speaking in the plural. He's saying, we all get to behold and be transformed together. We behold the glory of the Lord. We're transformed to reflect Him. It's a process referred to in Scripture as sanctification, or literally the word means holification. It's the way that we become more like Christ. We, our waters become a little bit more still, and we reflect Him a little bit more clearly. It's not a work of human grit and perseverance, but a product of the ministry of the Spirit of God as we gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. As we do that, we learn to see ourselves rightly as recipients of immeasurable mercy. We become more amazed with the power and wisdom and goodness and patience of God. We become less impressed with ourselves. And the glory of the ministry of the Spirit of God is made to be more glorious in our eyes. Oh, do you have any idea how good you have at church? Christ Jesus has borne the wrath of God on your behalf that we might worship him. Are you walking in that transforming freedom this morning? Are you walking in the transforming freedom of the ministry of the Spirit of God today? I was just praying uh, leading up to this morning and you know, asking the Lord, hey, God, is there, is there something that you would have on your heart in a particular specific area where you desire the transforming freedom of God to do a work? in the hearts of your people today. And I think there may be uh, one area in particular, and I think that's in the area of bitterness and unforgiveness. I'd ask you to consider if you're here this morning and you, there's unforgiveness that's rotting your soul, eating away at your joy, perhaps with a, a parent, a sibling, an employer, a spouse, just hard to forgive. just can't move on. I just can't give up what they did, what they're doing, how they spoke to me, how they treated me. Listen, we never want to minimize the significance of, of the hurt that people cause us. But we also don't want to minimize the significance of what Christ has done for us. You realize how good you have it this morning, friend. You realize how much you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. How generous and merciful and patient and kind and long-suffering and good God has been to you. So there is no bolder declaration of the hope we have in Christ Jesus than to turn to someone who has wronged us and to say to them, I forgive you. To be able to embrace them with real affection. And reflect back to them just some small measure of the mercy that we have received from the living God. You know how good you have it this morning, church. 
we have a ministry of the Spirit to us of enduring righteousness. A ministry through us of hope-fueled boldness. Oh, and a ministry of transformative freedom. Let's walk in that freedom today. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for how generous you have been with us. Lord, you could have left us in the desert, standing before Moses with veiled hearts, looking at the veiled presence of God, cut off forever from your mercy and love. You could have left us, left us condemned under the law of death. But you were so merciful that you sent your son Jesus to live a life of sinless righteousness that we could not live, to die a death of mercy that we could not die, and to raise from the dead to give us the hope that we too will be raised, Lord, that we might stand before you in perfect righteousness with all the shame washed away, with all the guilt taken away, Lord God, we can stand before you bold, forgiven, accepted, and acceptable because of what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would we become more broken by our sin and more in awe of your mercy? Would we be a people who reflect you, Lord, in our faces, Lord, as we extend that mercy to those around us? As we receive that mercy for ourselves, Lord, I, I pray this morning for those who are struggling even to, <laughs> with the faith to believe the truth about what you say about them, Lord, that they are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that that sin that they're thinking of right now, Lord, has been covered by the blood of Jesus and shame is taken away. Lord, I pray for faith this morning for those who are locked in chains and, and are, are struggling this morning with hopelessness in areas of sin and addiction. Lord, I pray that you would break those chains, give them fresh hope this morning, that you are a God who, who has given them the spirit of God that they might have freedom. Not in isolation, not alone in the context of community, Lord, but that freedom comes from your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would minister that spirit to them. Bring hope, bring joy, bring life, bring peace. Your ministry is exceedingly glorious. Oh, help us to know how good we have it. I want us to sing the song, uh, Good and Gracious King. I want to read a couple of the lyrics here before we sing, but I also acknowledge there may be some this morning that there's some stuff uh, that's heavy on your heart this morning. You, you want to pray. Um, so as we sing, if, if, if that is you, we'd invite you, Al and Desi, and I invite our deacons to come forward and We'll be here to pray for you if you want to come forward and receive prayer. Or, listen, the ministry of the Spirit is not a ministry of just a couple guys proclaiming the glory of God. It's all of us. So maybe you just want to turn to somebody next to you and say, look, I, I need prayer. Yeah, I, I'm wrestling. I'm, I'm struggling to see that hope. Let's pray for each other, church. Let's minister. Let this, may the ministry of the Spirit of God be at work in you and through you today. Let's do that even now. 
For the rest, I, I want us to sing the song, uh, Good and Gracious King. And verse 1 says, I approach the throne of glory, nothing in my hands I bring, but the ministry of the Spirit, the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious King. I will give to you my burden as you give to me your strength. Come and fill me with your Spirit as I sing to you this praise. What we're asking here isn't for a filling of a spirit that's not there. It's for awareness of the filling that we already have of his spirit. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice to the king in need of nothing. Empty-handed, I rejoice. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome with joy, I sing by your love. You know this morning, you are accepted. Oh, he's a good and gracious king. Let's sing. If you'd like prayer, come on, come on forward.